the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with Davy. It's amazing what you discover when you really listen. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I'm joined by three guests to discuss the many issues facing the Irish hospitality and travel sector. The government this week extended the Level 5 restrictions until March 5th, which means that hotels, restaurants and bars around the country will remain shuttered except in limited circumstances. The government has also signalled that it doesn't want people travelling in or out of the country, unless in exceptional circumstances. And harsh quarantine measures have been introduced for some people arriving into Ireland. Joining me to discuss the impact of these measures on the hospitality trade and the wider Irish economy are John Galligan, founder of John Galligan Travel in Sandyford, Elena Fitzgerald Kane, President of the Irish Hotels Federation and Sales Director of the family-owned Fitzgerald's Woodland House Hotel and Spa in Adair County Limerick, and Mark Paul of the Irish Times. Mark Paul, maybe you can explain to us what the government has decided to do in terms of the lockdown restrictions and also what it's planning to do or what it's proposing to do in terms of travel quarantine. Well, Karen, the government has decided to do, to extend the domestic restrictions um, until um, the fifth of March, and and you know they may extend further after that. It's also tightened up the regime um, around um, international travel. Now, what had been sought by um, by members of the opposition and and also by the sort of medics and scientists that are pushing the sort of zero COVID type proposal, um, they want mandatory quarantining um, of all incoming travellers into the state for fourteen days um, in some sort of a designated facility like a hotel. Tell. The government hasn't gone that far. It has resisted that. Um, and what they have done is they have they have brought in mandatory quarantining in hotel for arrivals from countries like um, Brazil and South Africa, where there are dangerous uh, and much more transmissible new variants of the virus. And what they have done is they have put the requirement on people to. Um, quarantine in their own homes, which before was a request. They're going to put. They're putting that um, on a, on an obligatory footing, and um, that you are obliged to quarantine in your own home. Um, and and what they've also done is they've brought in. Um, a, 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 you know, people can 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 arrive with a negative PCR test, um, and if they arrive without a negative PCR test, then they can be asked to quarantine in a hotel or in their own home. Now, look, this is what they've brought in. I expect that these rules. Personally, I expected these rules will constantly be ratcheted up over the next couple of weeks. I don't think that the regime that has been brought in now um, is the end of it. I think that there's a, there's a lot of public pressure and political pressure on the government um, to tighten the borders because I think people see it as some sort of a silver bullet type solution perhaps. Um, but those are the changes that have been brought in. But I really don't think this is the end of it with travel. Mark, do we know how many people come in from Brazil and South Africa in a given week? Um, look, at the moment, Kieran, it can't be any more than a few hundred, you know, in, and, and in the general scheme of things. I, the short answer is that I don't know the specific number of people uh, coming in from Brazil and South Africa on any given week at the moment. But look, d- there is no real demand out there for international tourism at the moment. I think at the current time, I think that's an important point to make. As recently as about six weeks ago, I would say, the Irish tourism authorities had this idea to start a marketing campaign in the second quarter of the year, they were calling it Push the Green Button. And they were hoping to get that going sometime between April and June. And that there was a sense about six weeks ago that the, the arrival of the vaccines would allow the tourism economy to open up to some degree, maybe towards early summer. Um, I think that entire feeling, that entire hope, I think, has been abandoned in short order by the government. Um, and they're possibly looking at international travel now, maybe in some degree to the second half of the year, 
But I think 2021 is going to be an awful lot worse for the tourism industry and the travel industry than it, it appeared it would be even six or seven weeks ago. And the driving force on that are two things, in my opinion. One is the fright that everybody got um, over Christmas and early January with regards to what happened. And the second one is, is the arrival onto the scene of more transmissible new variants and the fact that that has spooked every other country in Europe, to also tighten their border. For example, there is a push at the moment in the European Union, led by Germany and Belgium specifically, who want to essentially ban all leisure travel, all non-essential travel, all cross-border travel that isn't cross-border working or, or, or essential. Now, the European Union hasn't agreed that internally, but you can see... Uh, countries already peeling off um, um, uh, within the European Union and putting in place their own rules. Um, so look, the entire environment, unfortunately, for the tourism and travel agents uh, uh, industry has has deteriorated uh, over the last six or seven weeks. And it's really, really difficult to see how it's going to get better before late summer, in my opinion. Elena fitzgerald Kane, you're president of the Irish Hotels Federation. You're also sales director of the Fitzgerald's, family-owned Fitzgerald's Woodlands House Hotel and Spa uh, in Adair County, Limerick. Were you surprised by the government extending the restrictions to March 5th? And in fact, do you think they're going to go further? I wasn't surprised. I suppose, look at the case levels we've had and whilst we've seen some progress, you know, there are some harrowing statistics um, every night in terms of, you know, deaths and that. So there was no sense of surprise. I mean, it's a really, really place, difficult place for government in terms of, you know, the balancing act between health, which obviously has much more focus right now, and the economy um, and that. So there was no surprise um, do I believe that it will change things, you know, as we head into 2021? You know, the narrative is changing. You know, there was a point where we expected that the vaccination of our most vulnerable would be completed by the end of March. You know, there are challenges now around the availability of vaccines. At one point, the narrative was that anybody who wanted to be vaccinated would be vaccinated by the end of August. Now, again, you know, the trajectory around that has been pushed out. Um, so there is an expectation, I suppose, that, you know, it's not going to be the year that we would have certainly envisaged, you know, um, late last year. Um, and I suppose, look, it's trying to support government in terms of the vaccination rollout um, and making ourselves available, you know, to put the shoulder to the wheel. But one thing that is clear and certainly amongst our own community, and I think the wider nation is no more of this stop start kind of approach. Um, and yes, we found ourselves in the midst of a pandemic and dealing with something extraordinary. But I just don't know how much more of it we can take mentally um, or certainly in terms of, you know, the livelihoods and, and our broader economy. So that's one thing. When we do open, it needs to be sustainable. And at that sense of, I suppose, information and communication that proper lead times are put in place as much as possible to give certainty. Well, on that point, Elena, the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, was on RT Radio this morning reminding uh, listeners that uh, the proposal is, or the plan is, that everybody um, should be vaccinated by the end of September, or at least everybody who wants to be vaccinated. So if that's the case, um, is there an argument to be made for the hospitality trade to stay closed until then? Well, at the end of the day, I mean, that's a matter for government policy. There would be huge consequences if that was to be the case. One in terms of, I suppose, the health of the nation, we all need something to look forward to. And, you know, if you reflect on 2020, the highlights were probably, you know, the time you got to spend away um, and, and that because there was a mundaneness and a sense of Groundhog Day, you know, at, and so many times. And again, we're starting 2021. So for me, I always need something uh, to look forward to. The reality is, you know, what we need to see is, I suppose, an easing of restrictions in tandem with the vaccination rollout. And we'd love to get a sense of, well, when 50% of the population are vaccinated, what level of restrictions will we have in place? 
What happens when it comes to 75%? I don't think it's possible just to strike one off until the other is completed. I don't think our health could take it. And I certainly don't think that our economy can can take it. But right now, the focus is on public health, safeguarding that, restoring it, improving it. And in fairness, the government have put supports in place to try and sustain the livelihoods. Um, But it's all down to, you know, how long are we going to have to live with this? And, you know, the stages of reopening and the stages of recovery. I'm sure the Irish Hotels Federation is having constant dialogue with government over the restrictions. When do you expect that the government will allow the hospitality trade to open again? We have dialogue. Um, At times, we probably haven't had as much dialogue as what we would have liked. Uh, But again, we are in the midst of a pandemic and it's something extraordinary like what we've never had to deal with before. I can't say when government is going to make that decision. I suppose, again, just to stress what's important to us is that sense of lead time, that sense of it being sustainable. And for example, one of those things that would contribute hugely to sustainability is allowing inter-county travel. That's a really, really important part because if 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 that isn't put in place, there are so many hospitality businesses, you know, the livelihoods that they support and indeed the communities. There are some communities that are completely dependent on tourism. And like, let's not forget, you know, prior to this pandemic, tourism represented one in 10 of all jobs. 70% of those jobs are outside of Dublin. So the regional employment and the regional contribution is huge. So when would you like the government to give you the green light to reopen? I would like government to give us the green light to reopen when they feel that health is restored to a point that it's safe to do so. Um, And when, you know, the vaccination rollout, um, you know, we're all speculating in terms of when that should be. It's not my decision. Obviously, naturally, I'd like to see it as early as possible. But there's a lot of progress we made in terms of public health and vaccination rollouts to get to that point. And, you know, I'm not the author of that, uh, Ciarán. You know, that's the reality of it. Sure. No, I I accept that. But uh, we have March 5th restrictions in place until then. I think it's unlikely that they're going to allow a reopening for St. Patrick's Day. Probably unlikely again that they're going to allow a reopening before Easter. So that will be, um, what, the first week in April. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, inter-county travel has to uh, come into play. We're at level five. That doesn't allow for inter-county travel in orders uh, four or three. So I think we need to be down to level two. So are we looking at May or June? It's possible that it could be April. Um, You know, at the end of the day, we understand why government would be fearful of reopening around St. Patrick's Day. I think because April is so early, we're more a victim of the fact that it's it's an early Easter, you know, this year um, as opposed to later. So, you know, I think best case scenario, we are probably looking at April. It, you know, it could potentially be May. We hope that it doesn't have to extend uh, beyond that. But that's, again, is all down to the progress that we made in public health. We all have a collective part to play in that and all down to the effectiveness of the vaccination rollout. Mark, what's your sense of it? My sense of it, Kieran, is that, is that I can't see it, the hospitality sector reopening. Now, and just, just to clarify, I'm not saying what I think should happen. I'm just, I'm just uh, predicting what I think will happen. I can't see the hospitality sector specifically being allowed to reopen before about May or June because they're, going to, they're not just going to open the doors and allow it to reopen. They're going to ratchet up the opening, if you like. They will begin with allowing outdoor dining. And they've already mentioned May. Um, and Leo Vracker keeps dropping May into the conversation. Um, so it's difficult to see if they, as Elena says, if they allow inter-county travel, which is really the elixir that you need for domestic tourism, for staycations. We, you know, people need to be allowed to travel to West Cork. They need to be allowed to travel to Kerry. They need to be allowed to travel to Galway and all the other tourism hotspots. Um, um, if they allow that by the beginning of summer... And if there's a realisation within government and within the industry that they're probably going to have to seal off the industry from international tourism until the end of the summer, well then 
um, the, the, the onus is, is greater on the government to facilitate domestic tourism for the school holidays. And I think that's what they'll be looking at, which is towards the end of June, they will want everything in the hospitality sector reopen domestically by the end of June so that they can have a staycation season. And I think that's really what the hospitality sector, that's probably the best, I think, that the hospitality sector can, can, can aim for is by the end of June that the, the sector is open domestically and maybe by the end of the summer it's open internationally. Elena, is that the best you can offer? Well, I suppose you mentioned something earlier, Kieran, in terms of level three. Um, level three did have intercounty travel around the Christmas period. So, you know, it's important not to get too caught up in the levels, but there are, you know, more restrictions, obviously, in terms of level three uh, vis-a-vis level two. Um, one of the things that has come up is the notion of kind of regional tourism, you know, is it within your county alone? What about the neighbouring counties? We've already seen, I suppose, with weddings that intercounty travel um, are allowed. I mean, if you think of Limerick and how close we are to all the other neighbouring counties, I think that's something that should be taken into consideration, but obviously dependent on the incidence of COVID rates in there. And I, it really does put forward the argument as well for extended school holiday periods, you know, particularly around, for example, October midterm, you know, particularly around the summer, we see in Europe where holidays in certain parts of France, holiday periods in certain parts of France or Germany are staggered. And I think that gives a greater opportunity, you know, in terms of, I suppose, availability of places and certainly in terms of of, of pricing and value as well. So that's certainly something that should be put into the mix, you know, when we are rethinking everything as we are now. John Galligan, you're the founder of John Galligan Travel, a a travel agency in uh, Sandyford, which has been operating for more than 30 years. I think you're at the uh, higher end of the market. uh, um, You posit yourselves as experts in cruising um, and over 50s uh, holidays, bucket list type destinations. Obviously, that's taken people out of the country. We've heard from Mark and Elena how staycations uh, might come back in the months ahead. But in terms of um, outbound travel, it sounds like it's going to be a, a very long road for uh, companies like yourself. Hi, Kieran. Nice to talk to you. Um, yes, indeed. Uh, what, what can I say? And in fact, first to say, um, while my focus is on outbound travel, obviously, uh, we are a synergistic um, partner to the inbound tourism business because you need people to travel out on airplanes to fill half of the capacity so that there's a, there's a, it's a viable thing for people to come in. I'd have a more international focus on this, obviously, because that's my business. Um, and, and I have to say, I feel for Elena and her colleagues because um, the first thing that struck me was that a lot of people are making decisions now for the season. And um, it looks to me like the by, by um, kicking this one down another three months or so um, internationally, um, there's going to be a lot of international tourism lost to Ireland. So that's effectively another season, Elena, and you have my sympathies in that. I think that probably you're going to lose international tourism for two years on the trot. And I wish you the best of luck in that. I know that's going to be an extremely difficult time to go through. Um, for the outbound business, we've been in that mode for since March of last year because effectively there's been nothing happening other than us opening our doors to give money back to our clients. There's been really nothing happening in terms of the customer demand. Um, I think the nation is spooked. I think we've been terrified and... Um, the, the daily numbers uh, are, are like an adrenaline fix or a, or, a, or a doom fix. I don't know what you want to call it, but we're, we're sort of getting a constant cycle of negative news. And even um, we've had false dawns because when, when this started in March, we thought we'd be back by April, maybe, maybe June. We opened in June with the intentions of uh, getting back to normal. Um, that didn't work out. We, we issued all our credit notes for all our customers and, and then there was nothing left to do. So we had to close again in June. 
And then we thought by the end of the summer, which was no rational, logical to, reason for us to think that way, but we seemed to think that, that we'd be back and we'd be, things would be normal again in September again. That didn't happen. And now January has come and gone, and the same thing has happened again. And we're sort of looking to spring. Uh, the weather's getting a bit better. The days are getting longer. People are getting a bit more optimistic. And we seem to be getting uh, more bad news. So it, it all has a dampening effect um, at the moment, there is no demand for outbound travel. There are people who really want to travel, and we know because they're ringing us and they're asking us for um, questions about holidays. We're giving them information and they're saying, okay, I'll get back to you. But in effect, um, there's no real demand. The market is dead in the water right now. Um, we're getting some snippets of business for 2022, and that's nice. We're glad to see it, and uh, um, we look forward to that coming back. But but right now, um, our own tours, you mentioned our bucket list trips there. We had one a month from Easter this year. We've cancelled everything now for the moment up to September. So, um, I mean, there, was, there is a situation where we've had a group that booked to go to the Galapagos in June of last year. That was cancelled and they rebooked to go in October of last year. That was cancelled and they rebooked to go in June of this year. And now that's being cancelled. So there's people there who are moving four times. They're... they're um, I must say they're very good. They're sticking with us. They really want to go on their holidays and they know that there's there's no alternative until it's safe to go. Um, and they are sticking with us and they are rebooking now for 2022. Um, but at some point, they will get weary of this and they'll say no. On the other side, we can see from the um, the national savings how they've ballooned during the pandemic and how much money people have and that money, when it when it comes out, is going to go. Uh, this is going to be a tsunami of demand, both for outbound travel and for the incoming business. Because the first thing that's going to come back is going to be domestic travel, and that bit about intercounty travel is absolutely critical to that. And I'd like to see that brought back as early as possible. Um, there's no doubt. I mean, I'm I'm booked to go um, to to a lovely hotel in Connemara next month, but that's not going to happen. So uh, as soon as it is safe to do, as soon as people feel safe for them to travel. And they will uh, book and they will do it um, immediately. They'll probably do it for a short lead in time. So it's going to come very quickly. It's going to have to be fulfilled very quickly. Um, and uh, they will probably buy up. They will spend quite a lot of money on their, on their trips and on their hotel stays in Ireland or wherever. So I'd see it, it'll, it'll come back domestically. And then once people get a little bit more comfortable about the... Um, the health situation, not only here, it's, it's only here that, that Elena really is concerned about, but I'm concerned about the health situation everywhere in the world. So wherever we go to, whether it be Ecuador or whether it be um, uh, Spain, we have to know that it's safe for our clients to go there. And not only that, but it's going to be an enjoyable experience when they get there. So for the travel business, while we've been in lockdown mode now for a year, more or less, um, i I'm bracing myself for another six months of that. Um, and I'm bracing myself for a, a pretty strong demand when that comes. And I would have a concern, and I think probably Elena does as well, about the staffing, the cope, the ability to cope with that demand. I mean, I do think that it's going to be so dramatic when it comes. 
um, that, I mean, I know I've read stories of, of uh, senior maitre d's and waiters in, in very nice hotels moving to multinational companies because this is just going on too long. We have the same thing. We warned in September that if the wage supports were slashed as they were, there would be a, an exodus out of the business. And that's happened in the travel business, in the outgoing travel business. So I see big demand uh, probably towards the back end of the year. We're lucky because we, um, our, our, um, our season is year-round. I mean, when, when the, it gets cold here, we can bring people abroad, but the Irish tourism, unfortunately, uh, are missing that, and all those big conventions that work through the winter are, are not going to happen this year. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, we'll see a, a, a quick bounce back probably towards the quarter three of this year. And I see, in travel, I see prices going up as a consequence. I see demand exceeding supply. And I see and from the retail travel point of view, I mean, uh, travel agents are hanging in there because we know there's a big day coming coming for us. And God, we need it after a year and a half of, of paying money out and paying for overheads without any income. Yeah, John, maybe let's just talk about the impact on your business uh, a little bit. How many people would you have carried in 2019, pre-pandemic? We would have carried about uh, 3,000, I think. Uh, in our tours, we would do a lot less than that, but they're very high-end tours. Um, um, it, we, what we've effectively got in 2020 was quarter one. Um, we thought that last year was going to be a great year. We uh, Up to the end of February, we were roaring ahead. We were well up on the previous year, and all of our bucket list trips were filling without difficulty so we knew there was a good year coming and then it's like somebody pulled the plug out st patrick's weekend it just stopped okay so most popular destinations spain is always the most popular you mentioned our over 50s program there we do a um, a low cost program to spain um so um out of ireland i think we have um uh, spain is is we're a unique country in that the, the more of our population go to one country than any other country in the world if that makes sense to you so I know there's about 1.25 million Irish people go to Spain every year um, out of a population of, what, four and a half, five million. That's an incredible uh, percentage of the population to visit one country. Um, so that is, without a doubt, the most popular country. And, and they're really suffering. I mean, they, think of all those waiters and all those chefs and, and people who are down there who are, are out of work since. Um, so Spain is, will open. Um, they don't know when. They think it'll probably open sometime after Easter. Bit by bit, they're trying to open. Um, around the world, it's more difficult because we, we have tours, um, like the Galapagos is a very good example. Ecuador is really suffering with COVID, so it's not safe to go there. So that has to be cancelled. That kind of thing is something that uh, we need to be mindful of because while vaccinations will be great for us and we can go to travel, we need to know that where our people are going to is safe for them for, to travel to and that that country has is its own vaccinations. John, what's been the impact on your business? How many staff did you have before COVID hit, and how many have you got in the books now? Well, we had six at the outset, um, so we're a small independent company, as I said. Um, we're down now to two and one, one part-time. So effectively, what we're doing now, um, I, I'm, I'm in most days just to, to check and make sure everything's okay, but most of my time is spent looking after those who have already booked and rebooking them, rescheduling. I'm setting up tours now for 2022. 
Um, and uh, I've had to cancel, since I came back, I've been cancelling all of this year's tours and moving those people or refunding those people. And an awful lot of my time has been spent in just handing money back, giving money back to people. Elena, I presume it's a similar situation for you guys at Woodlands. I just wonder, in terms of bookings, let's say, how many people would you have had booked in up until March 5th that you've now had to cancel? Thousands, I suppose, is the answer, you know, because there was always the desire to go and stay and to have something to look forward to. So you're looking at at thousands. Um, so the process starts today in terms of looking at all of our bookings, you know, from the end of January up to, you know, the 5th of March and just trying to help people, I suppose, make alternate plans and alternate um, arrangements and that. And, you know, there's a lot of time goes into that as well. But look, we do love to see the bookings coming in. You know, if we have to reschedule, that's, I suppose, something that I won't say we've become accustomed to, but it is part and parcel of, you know, the realities of of this pandemic um, and that. And we are still seeing people, you know, booking for Easter, you know, booking for the summer period. Certainly the pace is at a level that's slower than what it would have been pre-pandemic. Um, but, you know, there are, I suppose, chinks of light now. And when we reflect on, you know, the great summer that we had, Last year, you know, many of us went and explored new things, did new activities. For some, it was reconnecting with places um, of before. Um, but there were some great staycation experiences, great memories made. You know, Irish people were amazing in terms of, of donning the green jersey. And look, from our own perspective, you know, as we try and keep on as many of our team as we can here and throughout the country in Irish hotels and guest houses, we're using the time to re- to be really creative about what we're doing so that we can really deliver the wow factor you know, it's like a controlled experiment. There's a pause press, but we really need to use this time to upskill, reimagine everything that we're doing and really go out to deliver a wow. And I suppose some, you know, I suppose a statistic that always kind of very much stays with me is, you know, nine billion was Ireland's overall tourism revenues. Seven billion of that came from overseas. So hugely dependent as an island nation on our overseas visitors. So that meant that two billion was spent by Irish guests. Now, when you think of last year, you know, there were so many restrictions in place. It was very difficult, you know, to get some level of access to the market at times, you know, and and certainly with the restrictions. But what always astounds me is five billion was spent by Irish holiday makers, you know, overseas. And not that you'd ever try and channel all of that into the domestic market. But here we have an opportunity yet again I suppose a year on with the experience that we have in terms of trading safely, now having the time that we know we're going to be closed, you know, certainly till the 5th of March. And the key here is to utilise that time to create amazing experiences. We're doing it here in our own hotel in Adair. You know, I'm encouraging our Irish hotels and guest houses to do it across the country. Um, And that sense of reimagining everything. At Davy, the best conversations are always more than one way. We know it's even more important to listen than it is to talk. It's how we get to know our clients personally, by listening to you carefully and understanding what's important to your life, your family and your future. Then we can talk about a financial life plan that will suit you best. Davy, it's not just business, it's personal. Janie Davy, trading as Davy, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. We take our responsibilities personally. Mark, Ireland has been famous for its welcome for overseas tourists, you know, the Cave Meal, the Falls Ireland, the welcomes and all of that. Now we're essentially pulling down the shutters um, to international visitors and we're saying, please don't come here. We don't want you. How difficult is it going to be to reset 
that brand and that image, if you like, with international visitors um, whenever, you know, we, we get out of this? Well, it'll be an awful lot easier to reset it because everybody else is also doing the same thing. I think the big danger for Ireland last summer when people were calling for zero COVID and for shutting the borders and all of that was that Ireland ran the risk of being an outlier. Um, and the European Commission made a, a, a determination last summer that by June the 15th that, that, that inter-EU travel would begin again. Um, this year, the feeling is different because of the variants and you see, you see Germany and Belgium and other countries and even France um, 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 talking about they just want people to stay away. So um, Ireland can hide in the foliage of that. Um, um, the, the, the problem and the big danger and, and what really should be flashing like a red warning light on the dashboard for Ireland is air capacity because you know whether it's inbound uh, uh, tourism or outbound tourism in, in in John's case, if the airline routes aren't there, um, um, the the industry isn't going to be capable of recovering, and and once, um, you know, if if, if roughly speaking, all of Europe gets its populations vaccinated at the same time because we're all being delivered on the same schedule, you know, you know, according to our, our populations. Um, um, well, then every country is going to be seeking the return of its air capacity at the same time. Dublin is going to be out there in the market competing with Amsterdam, with Frankfurt, with Berlin, with Paris, with Madrid, with everybody at the same time to try and get that air capacity um, restored. What people, I mean, you know, because Ireland is an island, obviously, you know, there's no rail capacity into the country. Um, and you, can't get a, you can't get a train here from Holyhead. Um, so over a, between 85 and 90% of all arrivals onto this island come by air. Um, so it is... Uh, absolutely of, of utmost important, of paramount important to Ireland that air capacity is restored. I mean, before the pandemic, Dublin was one of the best connected cities to the United States and all of Europe, the fifth best, actually. The only ones that were better were the likes of Amsterdam and Frankfurt, which are huge hubs. And Dublin has a, you know, the capacity to, 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 to pre-clear uh, immigration here for the US. Um, 18 different cities um, across Europe were connected directly to Dublin by air. And, and, and those tourists flooded in through those channels. Um, it's going to be really, 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 really difficult to get that restored, and that's where the government's effort needs to be. And and just on also on that uh, issue of, of of restoring capacity, um, there's going to be an insolvency issue in in the tourism and hospitality industries by the time this is over. John has already mentioned the dangers of being shut for two seasons in a row. Um, um, there's no point in reopening the industry again if there isn't going to be the capacity here to receive guests. So I do think that the government really needs to examine the issue of how to help tourism and hospitality businesses shed some of their debts through some sort of an administrative examinership, some sort of an examinership or insolvency or personal insolvency process. That doesn't mean you have to hire a senior counsel and two junior counsel and go off down to the high court and convince a judge and come back 90 days later. That all costs 80 to 100 grand. Tourism businesses can't afford to do that. They're going to be carrying shed loads of debt and and there needs to be some sort of a government initiative, in my opinion, to help them do that, not because it's morally right, but because the industry can't recover without it, in my opinion. John Galligan, what about that issue around air access? We've seen recently with Aer Lingus, they've taken two transatlantic aircraft um, that were you know, scheduled for the Republic and they've, uh, they've decided to locate them out of Manchester. Are you worried that the air capacity won't come back? It certainly won't. Um, you, you can see already uh, Norwegian Air is in the High Court in Dublin um, trying to keep, get themselves through this um, uh, crisis. Um, they're they're the, probably the most high-profile one, but there's, I mean, there's, in a good year, there's, a, there's um, always a number of airlines that go bust. And there was, a, there was a report done about a year ago, I think, that would suggest that there'd be a big number of that. Now, that's all been expedited um, by this current crisis because the airlines have, have had nothing coming in for quite a while or a little bit coming in. They have huge, huge commitments in terms of, of uh, aircraft leasing and aircraft ownership. 
Um, I would be worried about that. And the other thing is, a lot of these aircraft have been lying idle for quite a while, and you can't just get in, turn the key, and away you go. There's huge maintenance issues to get those aircraft back. There's there's pilots who haven't worked in six months. They have to be retrained. Um, and the whole Boeing Max thing, which is a big thing, that's all about retraining as well. All those pilots have to be retrained. So I think capacity, not only in the airline business, but in the industry generally, and that will apply to cruise companies, it will apply to airlines, it will apply to hotel chains, um, and even down to the micro level to people like us. I mean, if, if 50% of our staff are gone, we're probably one of the um, better performing ones in that regard. I think more than 50% is gone throughout the entire Irish travel industry. So to crank that all up, and what I said earlier is when it comes, it's going to come very, very quickly. The airlines won't be able to put the capacity on that quickly. And everyone down the line is not going to be able to ramp up. Maybe hotels who tend to be very flexible might be a little bit quicker than most. But cruise lines, airlines, airports, I mean, those things are going to take a while to crank up again. And um, I would be worried about connectivity. I think it is something that, for some reason, the government has avoided um, or has been slow to help um, uh, airlines, by and large, uh, with, with some exceptions around the, around Europe, are being are, who are getting some government support, are being left to their own devices to borrow. So they now have even bigger debts than before, and we're seeing change of ownerships happening, like cruise companies selling cruise lines to funds. So yet again, like like the last time with the financial crisis, we're seeing that um, all these multinational funds are snapping up assets all around the world again. So there's a bit of a shift coming there. John, just in terms of cruise ships, I mean, they have the potential to be super spreaders in a COVID environment. Now, I appreciate when the vaccine's rolled out, you know, we'll all feel bulletproof and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll all start going back to doing the things we used to do before the pandemic. But how long before people are comfortable getting on a cruise ship with hundreds, maybe thousands of other people and setting off on a voyage? Well, there's two issues there. I think one is how safe is it to get on a cruise ship? And two is how safe do people think it is to get on a cruise ship? And it's the second one that is the real harbinger of doom. Um, the first one is that uh, uh, cruise lines, because of, you'll be familiar with the term norovirus, because of those spreader viruses um, that have been around forever or for ages, cruise lines are actually extremely good about hygiene. They do it extremely well and they know how to deep clean and they know how to uh, to contain um, contagious diseases. Um, but that having been said, the perception is that if you're in a confined space, um, that there's going to be a problem. And and the the honest answer is I don't know. They have been extremely busy. There's a there's a, a healthy sale panel which which cruise lines are using, which is uh, panels of um, academic experts who are advising them on how to reopen cruising safely. Um, but all of that is great. Um, it it's it's the consumer who has to decide it's safe, and that's going to take a while. Um, there is a reputational problem with cruising at the moment. They keep cancelling. At the moment, it's April they're looking at. Um, my own view is that it'll, it'll probably be quarter three. I know from some of the cruise lines that what they're getting is quarter three, quarter four business um, at a trickle. And it's 2022, that's what's selling. So I, I could see again that most of that business is written off for this year, I would think. Elena, Mark mentioned the government really will have to do something in terms of supports for the hospitality sector, you know, whenever we get to reopen uh, to help it get back on its feet. He mentioned a couple of initiatives. What would the Irish Hotels Federation like to see the government do? 
I suppose the first thing is that sense of certainty around support. So there's four main, um, I suppose, tenets to the measures that we would like to see certainty around and certainly improvement. So the first is around the wage subsidy scheme, uh, which John referred to earlier. I mean, that's going to stay in place until the end of March. You know, there's no sense of what it's going to look like after that. You know, there is, I suppose, a promise that we won't be left at a cliff edge or a precipice. But equally, we don't know. And I mean, when you're dealing with banks, you know, we put forward obviously certain levels of projections around everything. Um, And it's not that it's the bank's fault either. They're trying to do their own uh, planning. But we don't know what it's going to look like. And we do need certainty. And the reality is we're going to need it until the end of 2021. Um, You know, when we look at, I suppose, rates waivers, the UK government came out of the Briars and they set out a 12 um, month rates waiver. Ours is a piecemeal approach. It goes down to the wire every single time. And the reality is, even if we had the money, you know, are we going to pay rates or are we going to put that money into trying to sustain and restore employment? Uh, It would be a very easy decision for me. You know, the CRSS very well intended to support businesses that are in hibernation or, you know, near hibernation or quasi lockdown, whatever way you want to describe it. But there are anomalies within it. Um, you know, we're looking for the cap to be removed. Um, you know, we're also looking that at level three, that the sports will be available. And the reality is, if you're 75 percent down in business, it doesn't matter what level you're at. You still bear the pain of, of that and the impact of it. And when we see the supports that have been introduced in Northern Ireland this week, it really does make you relook at what's available in an Irish context. And I suppose my last point, and this isn't the one where government are paying for it, um, or that it's banking, banking moratoriums. So whether it's for ourselves as businesses or for our teams, you know, we did have the benefit of the bubble that came with the concession and the moratorium that was announced in March. You know, we, like so many businesses across the country, are paying back in the form that we can since October. And when you're paying out and there's no money coming in, you know, that in itself is causing huge stress, I suppose, from a solvency perspective. And particularly as you're trying to, you know, lay the foundations for reopening what that's going to look like. The EBA gave the green light for kind of a pan-European approach. Unfortunately, we haven't seen government, I suppose, press the green button on this. Um, so that is something that has to be put in place. What we have right now is, you know, go to your bank, talk to them. And some banks are being really, really receptive. But unfortunately, some are not. And if you change any element of it, now remember, most covenants have been thrown out the window because we, you haven't achieved, you know, the sales, number one, beside, before you look at anything else. But you are at the discretion of the bank. If you change anything, forbearance kicked in, kicks in, that changes your credit rating and your opportunity for going forward. And for me, that's something huge. And that's something that is relatively easily to address right now. So they would be the main things. But I mean, there are other legacy things, you know, when we talk about warehousing, you know, and um, we talk about pass-through charges, so apparent right now in terms of, you know, the government take on them. Um, and there is an extended list, but I suppose those four points, certainty around the EWSS, CRSS, rates waivers, and enabling banking moratoriums on a concession basis for both our teams and ourselves as businesses. Can I just uh, join in there, if I might, um, just to say from the from the outgoing travel agent's point of view um, that we're very grateful for the wage subsidy scheme, which came in very quickly in, in uh, at the end of March and has been with us since. I think the slashing of it in September was a disaster and a stupid mistake because it, it meant people who would, who, um, the, the, the thing is designed to keep people attached to companies like us. By slashing it to the same level as the dole, 
people, our staff were saying, well, why should I be tied to anyone? I can just go on the dole and get the same money and stay at home and do my nails. So, so that was, a, to my mind, a, a big own goal by the government. The rates waiver, again, is very welcome and the restart grants are very welcome. But the CRSS is a very hot button for travel agents. And the reason I say that is because uh, we've been excluded from the CRSS. The only time we get it is in level five. That having been said, the government since last March has been telling people not to not to buy from us. We've been effectively closed, although we haven't been closed, we've been open because we've had to look after our clients. We've had to give them back their money. Our turnover since March to December, the, the nine months of the year, is a negative turnover, substantial negative turnover, as we gave money out instead of taking money in. And throughout all of that time, we paid our own overheads out of our own reserves. Um, the CRSS kicks in at level five and it kicks back out again when level five goes down. So travel agents, and we're facing today looking at the reports, um, the government are now really targeting foreign travel holidays as as non-essential travel and they're really trying to to tell people not to go if even for, for the rest of this year. So when if, if, if level five is gone in, um, in the 5th of March, so are the, the company supports for travel agents. And that's just not sustainable. After a year of taking the losses that we have, paying the overheads that we have, um, we won't be around to create those jobs. And if this is just what a couple of hundred companies, um, but we we are like Elena. We employ people throughout the length and breadth of this country in small towns and villages. And you know, the, we are the ones. We're the Irish SME small business person. We're the ones who provide the jobs. And if we're gone there will be no jobs and we'll be left with a long-term unemployment problem. Elena, what has the financial hit been to the Woodlands House Hotel and Spa? Um, About 70% down in in revenues. But, you know, I can't overthink the revenue aspect of things because there are people across the country that are worse hit. For me, it's actually about our team. So we have gone from 230 people right down to 40 um, or that. And, And I think that's the bit that keeps you awake at night and, you know, that you worry about. And look... Whilst that's our story, there are 160,000 people in our tourism community across Ireland, you know, who are currently, I suppose, temporarily out of work. That sense of, you know, how can we restore our employment? And we are very thankful to government in terms of what they've done. But there are anomalies. There's more to be done, particularly as the narrative pushes forward. And I suppose if I give an example, we work um, here in Adair with a company called Original Irish Hotels. And and their primary job is to, to, I suppose, sell Irish tourism overseas. Um, and they don't get the benefit of the CRSS. And they're a critical part of, I suppose, facilitating, you know, pent up demand into Ireland. And they have to work harder now than potentially when the gates are open. And, and so it's important that there is a broader tourism vision adopted, that everybody is the, who's affected, you know, has the opportunity to avail of the CRS. And again, for those people that are more than 75 percent on, I suppose Dublin is a classic example 83% of the business that came into Dublin hotels came from overseas. That meant that the 17% that came from domestic tourism, you know, was fueled, I suppose, primarily by events, you know, sporting, music, concerts, etc. Um, and that so at, at the end of the day, and particularly last summer and last year, when Dublin was in many respects, you know, perceived to be the epicenter at, at, at a lot of times, you know, around the virus. That really impacted on on Dublin's ability to perform domestically. So Dublin in particular has seen much more significant losses. You know, they are, you know, for the most part over the 75%. So I think that anomaly needs to be addressed. 
if you're 75% down, it doesn't matter what level you're at. And the reality is those measures, you know, need to, I suppose, continue and need to be improved if we are to bring those 160,000, I suppose, people and to restore their livelihoods. But equally in terms of protecting and safeguarding what we have, you know, at work. And I say that in inverted commas, because obviously, you know, it's very essential. It's working from home. You know, it's it's utilizing the time, you know, to work on plans, to upskill your teams um, or that. But it's it, government's role is key in this. Yeah, sure. Just on the quarantine issue, Elena, how many hotels do you think are going to be used uh, for people to quarantine and people who come into the country and need to quarantine? How many hotels are going to be used and have they been identified? It's very, very minimal. I suppose, look, when the quarantine issue came up um, and, you know, there was, I suppose, that question that government were reviewing it and we've seen, I suppose, the format that they've chosen for now. And we were very much, we reached out to our members and there was a sense of absolutely, there was a willingness to provide the infrastructure to try and, I suppose, support government in, uh, you know, suppressing the virus. But it is very minimal numbers of of people that are traveling um, right now. And you would expect that it would be airport centric. You know, many of those hotels are already open in terms of providing essential services. And already, you know, there are guidelines in place around people restricting their movements. Now, obviously, quarantine may take that to a different level. We don't have sight of that uh, right now. But I do believe it will be minimal. I do believe that it will be primarily around um, I suppose the airports and, and Dublin airport for, for the most part. And I suppose participation is very much a matter for individual hotels. You know, there are, you know, criteria, there are suitability issues around it and that as well. But look, we're ready to put our shoulder to the wheel. So whether it's part of, you know, supporting quarantine for now or indeed in terms of making our infrastructure available, you know, in terms of expediting vaccination rollouts. Yeah, sure. And how do the staff in those hotels feel about working in those hotels uh, as quarantine facilities, essentially, because the guards have been on the radio today, representatives for um, members of uh, Garda Síochána, saying that they're not very happy about this proposal, that they might have to go and knock on people's doors. It could put them in the way of risk. You know, you could have other issues, uh, etc. So how do the staff in the hotels that are being identified for quarantine feel about working in that kind of environment? Okay, well, the first thing that I'd say is, you know, our our teams are very much at the front line every day, not the health front line, but in terms of the services they provide. There are, uh, you know, procedures in place around sanitization, cleaning, um, you know, in terms of PPE, training, etc. And in a way, a lot of this is done already in terms of providing services for rooms that are restricting their movements. And in effect, you know, nobody ever enters the room of somebody who is restricting their movements. With quarantine, there is a possibility that there may be further changes. And I can't see how many more because right now, you know, the room is stocked up for somebody who's restricting their movements. Everything that they potentially need for 14 days is in there, you know, in terms of they have to be located near a stairwell. There is no um, access or there's I suppose there's no personal interactions with our teams. It's all on the phone. They aren't allowed out for a certain period of time. Everything's to be delivered to the room. So there's actually no interaction per se, but there are policies and procedures in place to support that. They may change in terms of quarantine. And what happens then is, you know, that I suppose training is put in place around that. But the reality is, you know, we've always had people who are particularly more vulnerable or their own circumstances may mean that they can't come to work in the pandemic. Um, and, you know, that's something that we're always mindful of, you know, as, as we change policies and procedures and as we put training in place. But I suppose this is something that government are, you know, terming as a mandatory 
Um, and we are part of the infrastructure for that. Yeah, all right. Mark, Elena has suggested that the government is going to need to do more in terms of supports and there are some anomalies in the system and uh, probably uh, loopholes that need to be closed off and, and so forth. It sounds like the government is going to have to dig a bit deeper into its pocket um, for perhaps longer than uh, it might have uh, it might have wanted to in terms of supporting the hospitality trade and other parts of the economy. Michal Martin previously put the bill for the pandemic at about 40 billion euro who knows, it could go beyond that. Can we afford it? Well, it all depends on how long uh, the European Central Bank keeps the big uh, money printer out the back, uh, spitting out free fivers and tenors. Look, the country can afford it to a point. I think the government's fiscal strategy all the way through this has been not to stand out. During the last big supranational crisis, European crisis, the financial crisis, um, Ireland was right at the, you know, we, we were a, a protagonist in that. We were right at the heart of it. And I think it, uh, it put the heart across the officials in, in, in the Department of Finance in Merrion Street that Ireland was always at the centre of the story. I think the government's strategy this time is not to borrow more than anybody else, not to have restrictions that are much uh, deeper than anybody else, not to um, have supports that are, that, are, that, that are way higher than anybody else. Ireland just wants to be in the bland middle in this crisis from a European perspective um, and their fiscal strategy will be adjusted to make sure that Ireland stays in the bland middle. Just with regards to supports for the hospitality sector, I think because the tourism and hospitality sector, much more so even than retail or than any other sector, because this sector of the economy has been asked effectively to self-immolate for the good of the rest of the country, I think the onus is going to come in the government to come up with a specific package for hospitality and to get it back on its feet. Um, there's no point offering the industry the same supports, you know, Chris and so on, that, that, that it offers to everybody else. At some stage, the government is going to have to bite the bullet and realise that because it asked the industry effectively to, uh, to destroy itself, um, and that, that there is now a particular onus on the government to use taxpayer money to get it back on its feet, not just because it's the right or correct thing to do, but because um, economically uh, uh, and from a, a tourism activity point of view, it's the only thing to do. Um, 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 they have to rebuild the industry or Ireland is just not going to be able to take advantage of any resurgence. All right, finally, I'm going to ask you all, hopefully there is some light at the end of the tunnel. The vaccine is being rolled out. There is the, the potential uh, for some sort of normality to return uh, to our lives at some point later this year or early next year. So um, whenever we're allowed to travel again, where would you like to go, Mark? I wouldn't mind going back to Israel, actually. Um, I'm a country that I've been to uh, many, many times over the last years. Yeah, there's just something about Jerusalem that tends to get me. Um, um, no, not for any particular political reason, but yeah, I would say I, would say, I wouldn't mind going back to Israel, probably with Siobhan and the kids. Elena? Wild Atlantic way all the way. Um, can't wait to get back to the ruggedness of the coastline. You know, the culture, that new sense of outdoors um, that we have. Um, and I suppose if I was to expressly mention two places, you know, Kerry and Claire, uh, a lot of great memories and, you know, very much part of our own routines around summer. And I can't wait. I really, really can't wait. It's something to look forward to. OK, you're a staycationer. John? Well, I think everyone listening to this would want to get anywhere, whether that be uh, to, to Elena's hotel or, or, or like me. I mean, I, I had such a good year lined up for myself last year. It was going to be Galapagos. It was going to be Antarctica. It was going to be the Arctic. It was going to be Jordan. It was going, I, had, I had all of these tours that I was personally escorting, so I'm gutted. I'd almost take anywhere at this point. Um, uh, top of my list, got to be Galapagos. I've always wanted to see that. I'm one of the really lucky people in this world. I've seen seven continents and I just really want to see places like the Galapagos. For whatever time I have left, I want to make as much time and, and see as many places, experience as many um, things as I can. And that would be my first one. But there's more after that. The good news is, I think, we're not far away. 
Um, I think the vaccines is a positive thing. I think um, we will get this current phase under control. And I would think towards the second half of this year, we'll begin to feel some sort of confidence. And it's, that is the word. That's the one word that I would uh, throw into this whole debate. Once that comes, uh, we know in the retail travel business, and Elena knows in the hotel business, that the, there's going to be very good days ahead for us all. All right, from my own part, I'm happy to go anywhere. Have bag, will travel. Just point me towards an aircraft and I'm on it. Okay, listen, Mark Paul, John Galligan, and Elena fitzgerald Kane. thank you very much for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to John Galligan, Elena fitzgerald Kane, and Mark Paul. Thanks also to our sponsor, Davy Group, for its continued support. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next week, take care and stay safe. <laughs>